If being a true Christian became a crime, would enough evidence be found to convict you? You're listening to Search for Truth, your Bible teaching program with Brian Johnston. Assuming you consider yourself a Christian, my earlier question is interesting. Does being a Christian make us demonstrably different from a good person of any other persuasion? Getting Real is the theme of this series of 12 talks, and today we've reached programme 7. We've already looked at Bible study, prayer times, and living with integrity at home. And last week, Brian looked at our credibility as practising Christians in our local church. At this time, we take a further look into the Bible to see how the early churches functioned and what principles can be applied to make and keep our church life more sincere, authentic and effective. So now let's go to Brian. Thanks, John. This gift of encouragement we've been talking about has been translated as the gift of stimulating the faith of others. Remember, it's the word comfort we're continuing to think of as we review the biblical church described for us in Acts 9 and verse 31, one that was growing because it was moving forwards, in quotes, in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Many things can hold us back, even as Christians. For some, it may be an inability to overcome feelings of bitterness or resentment. For others, it may be frustration that inclines to mild depression or losing the battle with impure thoughts. Trying to change the way people behave isn't usually effective until they can be helped to change the way they think. And that's where this practical spiritual gift of encouragement comes in. In a friendly and helpful way, in a way that's not unwelcome, the encourager begins to explore with the person concerned what their difficulty seems to be, gently asking probing questions and taking time to reflect back for confirmation the answers received. Active listening like this will come across as caring, accepting, and send a message that the person struggling is being valued. As the conversation develops, the encourager, in a caring way, tunes into the person's negative feelings. Are they coming across as angry, or afraid, or as feeling guilty? Those are the three telltale emotions. Let's get very practical and look at an example. We'll take one involving a case when fear may be the emotion that presents itself. Suppose we've noticed that a Christian at church doesn't get involved with anything. As we show interest and make ourselves available for an encouraging chat, we gradually pick up on the fact that they're not taking part in projects because they desperately want to steer clear of any responsibility. And that this appears due to a fear of failure on their part. In helping them to see that this is, in fact, unbiblical behaviour, the encourager may begin to uncover long-standing opinions that the person holds of himself or herself. Maybe from earliest years they've been told, you're no good, you can't do that, let me do it for you. And so they've come to believe it and to behave accordingly. An encourager can do no better than to emphasise that anything we can do as Christians is only in the strength that the Lord provides. And the best way to encourage someone like that is by following the good advice of the Bible itself, as when James tells us to be good listeners. Be swift to hear, he says, and be slow to speak. And what an example is held up for us in Ezekiel of whom the Bible says that when he was delivering his message, he sat where they sat. It's true, isn't it? People need to know how much we care 
before they care how much we know. They need to know we're on their side and we need to show that we can see the thing from their point of view too. God's own dealings with Jonah teaches us the value of asking sensitive but not intrusive questions, while Paul, in writing to the Ephesians, reminds us to speak the truth only in love. The point is that if it's loving, then it can be received. In effect, we've just walked through four steps to problem-solving. Let me point them out, and hopefully it will reinforce them in our minds. Stimulating someone's faith who appears to be flagging somewhat begins with listening. As we listen, we should cultivate the habit of reflecting back what we're picking up. This is a double advantage. First, it makes sure we're interpreting the vibes correctly. Second, it encourages the person we're listening to that someone is actually taking the time to focus on understanding them. By listening, we're trying to identify the main emotion that's coming across, whether it's guilt, fear or anger. That, in turn, guided us to view their particular behaviour as a coping strategy. In reality, it's more than that, for it's a pain-relieving strategy also, inasmuch as the motivation for what they're doing is that they're trying to fill the pain of coping with a deficit in one or other of the three basic needs. And these needs are self-worth, security and significance. That is, a sense of worth as a person, a sense of belonging to something we can identify with and a sense of contributing in a meaningful way, so making a difference. It's when one of those basic emotional needs is not being met that we become tempted to adopt a strategy to compensate in some way or at least to relieve the pain of that emotional loss. The gifted encourager will then, fourthly and lastly, try to expose that behaviour to the person in order to help them to see their need to turn from it and instead to look to the Lord, depending on him primarily to meet all their needs. In summary, again, the encourager strategy is first, listen and reflect with questions. Then secondly, tune in to identify the emotion, whether anxiety or anger or guilt. Thirdly, pinpoint the wrong, the independent coping strategy they're using, for example, withdrawal. And fourthly, entice them to repentance and dependence upon the Lord. These are the steps an encourager takes when they're presented with someone who, first of all, is not finding all his or her basic needs being met. That's their sense of worth or belonging or in making a meaningful contribution. And so that person perceives a shortfall that in turn produces pain and demands relief. And the sinful tendency that they then would develop naturally would be to rely on their own independent coping, their own pain-relieving mechanism. For example, as we thought earlier, withdrawing from any responsibility. And that action, that type of behaviour, is that which results in one of those three negative emotions that was our starting point above. I next want to suggest to you that we can picture the types of longings we all have as three concentric circles. We'll label them as deep, deeper and deepest. We can bear deep or even deeper longings not being fulfilled 
in the measure that our deepest longings are energizing our pursuit of God. But if at that deepest level we turn to other pleasures, then the appetite for what only God can provide becomes a demanding tyrant, and the drive for relief becomes a compulsive craving which can only block our trusting enjoyment of God. Outside of Christ, people are trying to fill the God-shaped hole, the deepest longings, with things that can never satisfy. Christians are promised satisfaction of their innermost being in abundant measure. But there may be times when we don't enjoy the two outer levels of satisfaction in the painful context of this hurting world when things can and do still go wrong. Trials are designed, or at least permitted, so as to fuel our pursuit of God at the deepest level of our lives. There's a lot of misconception about life in all its fullness, as Jesus called it. Going back to our picture of three concentric circles, life in all its fullness is not about having all three levels of deep, deeper and deepest longings fulfilled in the here and now. The obedient Christian doesn't feel good all the time. We're not guaranteed sustained physical comfort, namely those deep longings we were talking about, nor are we guaranteed permanent satisfaction in our close relationships. That was the fulfilment of the deeper longings that we talked about. However, when we seek the Lord, we are promised we'll find the sufficiency of his grace for now and bright hope for tomorrow. The deepest fullness can come through times of difficulty as we struggle with denied comfort and strained relationships. The springs of water bathing our deepest longings with his presence, with the Lord's presence now, and with his promises for later, don't eliminate the pain of unmet desires at other levels. Merely focusing on relieving our pain leaves us in danger of straying from that path. Thinking influences behaviour. As a man thinks, so is he, Proverbs 23 and verse 7 says. And it's important for the would-be encourager to realise that he or she can't change another person's behaviour without them first having their thinking changed. And our thinking needs to be changed so that we have the mind of Christ. On that point, I'd like to share what I call the simplest way to become what we are in Christ. It's how I now regard the process with the help of the Bible's teaching on it. The name simplest is an acrostic where each letter stands for a relevant word in the description of the method. S stands for spirit. And the point to associate with this is that we must begin our quest by prayerfully orientating our human spirit to God's spirit. For that's the way for us to receive God's revelation, including revealing who we are to become in Christ. The I and the M stand for intent of mind. This describes reading the scriptures intently with the aim of rebooting our mind with the knowledge of truth. It's in this way that we come to learn Christ, leaving behind previous futile forms of thinking. So S for spirit, our own human spirit, and I am for intent of mind. Those are the first three letters of simplest. And next, the P stands for penetrates the heart, which is what God's truth does when our mind is set on God's things. 
as we meditate on the Bible's teaching, committing to memory the truth set before our mind, so its values, the values of God's Word, filter down into the core of our being where it will begin to influence our lifestyle choices. This is where we pick up the L and E of simplest, drawing them from the word life. The heart at the centre of our lives is where we reflect on God's things with purpose of heart until they come to shape our will and we submit our mortified body as poised to do good and for productive outcomes in our life. Our soul's transformation is now underway. By the way, that's the S-T that completes the acronym SIMPLEST. It's the S and T from the initials of soul's transformation. We're now ready to display modified behaviour in the life of our soul, this being the result of processing our altered thinking. I hope you've enjoyed Brian's talk today and found it helpful. The transcripts of these talks are available in book form with the title Getting Real. If you'd like a copy, just write in by post or email and I'll give you the contact details in a moment. The talk you've heard today is also available to download via the internet in audio or text format. Simply ask for Get Real and you can do this by email or by post. And here's our address. Search for Truth, Hayes Press... The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wooden Bassett, Swindon, SN4, 8DY, UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. It's been a great joy to have your company today, and many thanks for your interest in Search for Truth programmes. I do hope you can join us again next week for another talk when Brian will be taking a final look at a Christian credibility in our church life. But for now, it's very best wishes from Brian, David, our singers, and me, John. So goodbye, and may God richly bless you. Amen.